Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On September 19th, 15 storytellers shared their stories with our audience at Bullyhound Tap Room in downtown York. Our theme for the evening was Child's Play. We heard stories from childhood, stories about caring for children, lessons learned from children, and stories about things that should have been easy, child's play, and were not. Phil Broder won with his story about his mother's recent passing and the memories and feelings her death brought to mind. I guess I want to start with an apology. Uh, If you were here last month, you heard me mention that my mother had just died. And several of you were kind enough to come up and offer your condolences, and, and I said what you wanted to hear. I said thank you. It was a very aggressive cancer. It was quick. There was no pain. I've said that to a lot of people lately. I guess it's not that I was lying, but I was certainly telling people what they wanted to hear. At the memorial service, there were people that I hadn't seen since my childhood, neighbors from our block outside Detroit, and you know, people that I'd gone to school with, old family friends, people that I haven't seen in 30, 35, or 40 years. And a lot of them came up and said, oh, your mother was so wonderful. She was such a, a caring person. You know, she really was the queen of the block. You know, the neighborhood revolved around her. And I have no idea who they're talking about. I have a different memory of my mother. It's a memory of her face twisted in rage, with one of her hands wrapped in my hair so that she could hold me while the other hand hit me. That's the mother I knew. It was the 70s, for you college students, ask your parents. Child abuse wasn't necessarily tolerated, but there was a looser standard. So while other kids were living out normal childhoods, running around the neighborhood, playing with their friends, I didn't do that. I learned early on that it was a lot safer for me to stay in my room reading. I read the Encyclopedia Britannica cover to cover because if I was in my room quiet and reading, mom wouldn't get angry. I certainly didn't have friends from the neighborhood or anywhere else come over to play. Um, Maybe subconsciously, I think I was protecting them, protecting myself, but just keeping them away from from my mom. It was a childhood of terror, not of play. And a friend of mine said, without knowing any of this, said, well, think back to a memory of your mother. And the memory that I came up with was of me running through the house, her right behind me, both of us screaming for different reasons, 
trying in vain to jump over the couch, to get behind the couch, because I didn't think she could reach me there. Another friend of mine said, well, try to think of the best memory of your mother. And I know without a doubt that the best memory was the day that I was big enough that she tried to hit me and I caught her arm and stopped her. That may have eased things up for me, but her attentions shifted to my sister after that. I can't, I, I don't, I never wished my mother dead. I'm not a monster. I never wished that she would die. But I can look back in the last six weeks and tell you that I haven't felt any grief. This morning back in Michigan, we buried my mother's ashes. And I can tell you that what I'm feeling is relief. Phil earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Next up is Bob Ford. Bob talked about lessons learned from paying attention to a child's perspective. I know there's got to be some parents out there. So I'm curious, have you ever had any of those moments that just stop you dead in your tracks as a parent? Now, I'm not talking about when you finally get the TV to yourself again. And there's not a talking animal on the screen. I mean, sure, those are fun too, the first 5,000 times. And I'm not talking about when you find yourself hiding in a closet, like the golem eating a piece of chocolate cake, praying that your children don't hear the fork scrape against the plate. I'm not talking about those moments when you were, you're doing something for a while and you lose track of time and you suddenly realize you've been doing this a while and it's really damned quiet in the house. And you know, you just, you just know if you go upstairs and check on them, you're gonna find a naked kid holding a poopy diaper and there's gonna be a new art mural on the wall, a regular fecal masterpiece painted by that new crazy artist called Picasso in town. No, I'm, I'm talking about the moments that they make you realize with such a, a profound light that you are at least partially responsible for this tiny little human in front of you. Those moments that fill you with such an astoundingly beautiful wonder that you know your children are viewing the world through. I moved with my family from York City to a small farm on the Susquehanna Trail. It was this old hundred-year-old farmhouse, and the barn was this ancient building full of thick wooden beams. And the, the hillsides were, were these rolling fields. And there was, a, there was a cemetery on the other side of it. Uh, but it wasn't that Ichabod Crane stuff. I mean, this was, this was really cool. This was, this was taken better care of than, than most executive golf courses. And at the time, I, I was doing a lot of work from the house, and I was working for myself, so I used to walk there a lot. 
And I would walk along the paths, the, the rows some days, and read the names. I would read the epitaphs. Other days I would sit on some of the marble the benches that they had there. It was a great place for me to think and to brainstorm. And one day I realized that this particular bench, it sort of had a, a pattern to it. Every spring, when the last night of frost was over, a pair of glasses would show up on the bench. Now they were these thick black frames, like something like Buddy Holly would wear. And sometimes I'd see them folded up, other times I'd see them open, but it wasn't really creepy to me. I mean, people grieve and mourn and remember in their own way. And I didn't really pay it much attention. And then one year when my daughter was five, she and I went for a walk in the cemetery one evening. And as we're walking down through the, through the pavement, we got a little closer and I, I bent down on one knee and pointed them out. And I said, Chloe, what do, you, what do you think in the cemetery, what do you think those glasses are for? And she kind of looked away and tilted her head and turned her little face back to me and she said, I don't know whether those were for us to see the ghosts or for the ghosts to see us. I know, right? <laughs> now, she's a young woman now. She's scouting colleges, but that phrase was 13 years ago, and it still brings this cobweb chill up my arms when I think about it. Now, to her, that's, that was just another day of being her. But to me, that was, that was something really profound and kind of prophetic. Now, I stayed at the farm for another five years. The second to last year, spring came. The flowers started to bloom, and the glasses didn't show up. So I wondered about that. I wondered, did something happen to that caretaker of these glasses? Did they get sick? Did they get ill? Did they pass on to the, the original wearer of these glasses and move on to whatever afterlife there is? But I've thought about that for a long time. And the thing that I wonder about most, the thing I wonder most of all, is if the ghosts simply had seen enough. Our final story on this month's podcast comes from college freshman Eileen Yang, who told the story of her sister's promposal and her parents' reaction. My favorite person in the entire world is my sister Emily. She's two years older than me, so growing up, we shared the same clothes, learned to ride our bikes together, and I even tried to follow her into kindergarten. I didn't really have much of a choice except to get along with her because my parents had just immigrated to the US and we didn't have any family or friends that lived here. Our friends knew how close we were, so when her friend Cody wanted to ask her to prom, he came to me first to help plan it. I was so thrilled to be involved and I eagerly told him her favorite color in candy so he could start making her poster. The night before the promposal, Emily tiptoed into my room and sat down on my bed hyperventilating. I think Cody's gonna ask me to prom, she said. And since I'm awful at keeping secrets, I kept my response short and said, really, that's great. And she yelled, are you kidding me? I'm never gonna be able to go to prom with him. You see, both my parents grew up in Cambodia. 
It was and still is a very impoverished country, and they had no cell phones or technology for communication. In Cambodia, all after-school activities and events involved drugs, alcohol, and worst of all, boys. <laughs> so growing up, I wasn't allowed to go to many after-school activities or events. My parents also grew up during a war, so that meant in addition, not coming home after school right away also could have meant that you got kidnapped by the communist regime or accidentally stepped on a landmine. Needless to say, they have their reasons for being overprotective none of which I considered when I told Cody that my sister would be more than happy to go to prom with him. <laughs> my parents were appalled at the audacity that someone wanted to take my sister to prom. The purple sign with Kit Kats taped to it that said, it would be sweet if you went to prom with me, sat by the trash can along with a dozen red roses. My dad even heartlessly suggests that she give him back the roses. Of course, they were furious at me for helping to plan it. They were so angry at me that they almost forgot my 16th birthday, which was a couple days after the disastrous promposal. I begged and cried and begged again, hoping that they would understand so I could stop feeling so guilty for dragging Cody into the mess. I tried to reason with them, but the answer was always no. They called their friends to get a second opinion about prom, and they all told them not to let my sister have a date. My parents said that they felt bad. They really wanted her, her to go to prom with him and wanted to say yes, but it just went against everything that they were taught. After a very tense week and a half, they reluctantly agreed, which meant that we had to deal with the next problem, post-prom. Post-prom is a PTO-sponsored event from midnight to 6 a.m. There were lots of forms involved, and my dad read all of them very thoroughly. On one of the forms, it said, post-prom is a drug and alcohol-free environment. My dad misunderstood and asked me, they give out free drugs and alcohol? <laughs> After clarifying with me and his coworkers, Cody and Emily were finally able to go to prom together. I never would have imagined that going to prom would be so difficult and exhausting to do, as most parents are more than happy for their kids to have a date to dance and take pictures with. It was just prom and they were just friends, so I thought it would be child's play convincing them. I truly love my parents because they have given me everything I could have ever wanted and more, and they are becoming more and more understanding every day. But please, if you ever meet them, don't tell them you heard this story from me in a bar on a school night. <laughs> All the winners from this year's Open Mic Story Slam events will return to compete at our Grand Slam in November for the title of Best Storyteller in York. Tickets for our events are available on our website, yorkstoryslam.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also follow us on Twitter, at York Story Slam, as well as on Facebook, and watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. Our podcast is produced with support from Our York Media. They're all about thoughtful storytelling, so we couldn't imagine a better partner. Visit their website at ouryorkmedia.com for stories about some of our neighbors. We hope to see you on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Carla Wilson, of Wilson Media Services. 
Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson. You can learn more at wilsonmediaservices.com.